Hello, and welcome to Birth of Family Church Podcast. We trust that you'll find an encouraging word to strengthen your walk with the Lord. And if you're visiting the area, or if you're looking for a good church home, come check us out at birthedfamilychurch.org. There you can find our location and service times. Thanks again for tuning in. God bless. Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Healing School. We're glad that you're with us tonight. Why don't you go ahead and get your Bibles opened up. We'll get into the Word of God tonight. And we've been looking at the 19 individual cases of healing through the earthly ministry of Jesus. And from then, we're going to find out how people access God's power to bring healing to them. So let's go ahead and believe God and we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you for your book. We thank you, Lord, that it's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And we thank you, Father, that as we allow your word entrance into our heart, and as we begin to walk in the light thereof, Lord, faith is released. And therefore, power comes and brings healing to our body. Help us to see from Scripture tonight with the help of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we are with the second case of healing that Jesus did for an individual. It's going to be the uh, healing of Peter's mother-in-law. And so uh, this testimony is found in three of the four Gospels. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and uh, Luke. And you'll see as we go through these individual cases that sometimes uh, scriptures of the same incident, talking about the same account, can contain different views of it. And of course, those that have studied the Word of God from a worldly standpoint says, oh, the Bible is full of contradictions. But really, if you just consider an eyewitness, a lot of times an eyewitness sees different things. And so when you put them to get together, you get a fuller view of the incident. And so we're going to begin here uh, looking in Matthew. Matthew, the eighth chapter. And look here at the 14th verse. Notice here it says that when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid or in bed. And it says that she was sick of a fever. So there was something going on in her body that was causing an escalation of her temperature, probably some kind of an infection. Now notice how Jesus ministered to her. It says here that he touched her hand. He touched her hand, and and look at the next thing that happened, and it says that the fever left her. So Jesus touched her hand. Once he did that, the fever left, or the really the root cause of that fever. And then it says that she got up out of bed and uh, ministered unto them. So uh, right away she began serving the Lord. Now. We see here that Jesus ministered to her through the laying on of hands. It says that he touched her hand. I looked up that word touch, and it means to attach oneself to. So he just wasn't patting her on the hand. He grabbed a hold of her. He he attached himself to to her, identifying 
with her condition. And we find the, the same Greek word found in other New Testament scriptures. And this word touched refers to imparting healing to somebody or someone touching another and receiving healing. It's interesting how the Word of God consistently talks about how our hands are a point of contact. That God works through our hands. For instance, he says that he'll bless everything that you set your hand to. In other instances, he imparted certain gifts and giftings. In fact, the Bible in, the, in Hebrews, the sixth chapter, talks about it as a doctrine. It's what we practice, the ministry of the laying on of hands. And so I believe that it is used to reflect touching someone, not physically, but with your heart, with your spirit, or with that which is in you to either impart it to someone else, or if you're on the receiving end, to receive it to yourself. This same word touch that's found here in this uh, Matthew 8, 14, is also the word, the Greek word that's used when the woman touched Jesus' garment. So she was on the receiving end. When she touched with her hand, her hand became an outreach of her heart and she received healing from Jesus and she was healed of that issue of blood. I'll show you another portion of scripture that uses this same word touched. In Matthew chapter 20, you're there in the 8th chapter, go to the 20th chapter, look at verse 34. It says, so Jesus had compassion on them. You know, many times you'll see that term used in reference to Jesus when he was ministering to somebody. It talks about compassion. Understand that the, the world has something similar that doesn't do anything, it's called sympathy. But you see, compassion is of the heart. Sympathy is of the emotions. When he came there with compassion, he began to relate to her. He began to uh, find a way to, to bring relief to her. And that's why he touched her. Here in this instance, it says that Jesus had compassion on those who were blind. And it says that he touched their eyes. That's that same Greek word touched here, as we see up here with the woman that had the fever in verse 15, where he touched her hand. It's kind of interesting. It says that he touched their eyes. Now, I, I don't think that he actually touched their eyeballs. I, maybe he did. But if nothing else, he touched their eyes through the eyelids, right at the point of where that power needed to be released. Now, now look at this. It says that he touched their eyes and immediately. How? By his touch. From that release and that point of contact, he released from his heart power, healing power that flowed out of his hand and or hands and was imparted to the recipient in need of that power. It says immediately their eyes received sight, and it says then they followed him. You know, this is the, this is 
the same way Jesus instructed us. Didn't he instruct us to lay hands on the sick? You know, too many times we, we look at the ministry of Jesus and, and, and we don't really relate to him. You know, he's God. He had this special anointing. You know, and we, we explain away why God can't use us in that way. You know, we are the representative of Jesus Christ on the earth. We are the spiritual body of Christ. And he will work through us, meaning that he will work through our touch when we touch people from our inner man, from our heart. That's where the power is. The power is not in your flesh. <laughs> the power is in your spirit. He said that you would do, he would be able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that's working in you. You see, we're to be a conduit. You know, we've been endued with power. We have God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us, and we can learn to release that power by faith, just like Jesus did. Amen? So here's what Jesus told us in Mark 16, 17. He told us that signs would accompany us because we're believers. Do I, do I have any believers out there tonight? Got, got some believers here? In the house, glory to God. Now the key to releasing his power, first of all, comes through his name. You see, his name, when given to us, represents all that he accomplished for us. And so when we use his name through a legal term as power of attorney, he gave us the power of attorney to use his name. That means we have a legal right to do his works when we have faith in his name. He says, in my name, you're going to take authority over devils. You're going to speak in a heavenly language. You're going to take up serpents. Aren't you glad? Glory to God. And uh, if you drink any, any deadly thing, it's not going to hurt you. And then in his name, they, who's they? The believer. That, that's you. That's me. Jesus himself, the head of the church said, when you use my name, you can do what? You can lay your hands as a point of con contact. And as you believe with your heart this power is being released from you, it will go into the recipient through your hand and into their spirit to create a cure in their body. Look what it says again. He says, you, in Jesus' name, will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Sometimes that'll be immediate. Other times it's going to be a process. Either way, we're looking for the end result. Don't just always anticipate that if it doesn't happen immediately, it didn't happen. That that's, could be, that that's, can't be possible. That's the furthest thing from the truth. Miracles, many times, are a process called seed time and harvest now when I was looking at this in preparing this uh, service for us you know we we talked about that word touch and so when I see this word hands I decided I'm gonna look up what that word means so I went to the concordance in this word hands where it says they shall lay hands on the sick I looked up that word and it obviously means hand 
<laughs> ding, 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 ding. That was an awesome revelation, right? But it also figuratively meant power. You could just as easily say that they laid their power, the power that they had been given to the sick. Also, it means your hand being used as an instrument. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? That it's an instrument of healing. It's part of the flow of power from your spirit into the individual that you're praying for. I looked at other references of this word hands. Look over here in Luke chapter 4, verse 40. Luke 4, 40. It says that when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers or different diseases, they brought them unto him. And it says that Jesus laid his hands, his instrument, his point of contact to release the power that's in him to the recipient or to the sick. It says that he laid his hands on each of them. Then what happened? And healed them. Hallelujah. I think we need to develop our faith in the laying on of hands. I think that we need to consciously, when we place our hands on someone, be conscious of power. The power that's already in us by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God and by His anointing flowing out of us. Now, you're not always going to feel it, but by faith, you got to believe that it's flowing into them. I mean, we enjoy the, the power of electricity every day, but I never see electricity. You know, I don't feel it, but you know, I'm enjoying its benefits all the time, right? Heats my house, cools my house, illuminates my house. Glory to God. I never see it. But that power is working. Same is the power of God. Just have faith in this spiritual force that's dunamis, as you were, and that dunamis power flowing out of us to others. Let's look at the next account of this, this same healing of Peter's mother-in-law. In Mark chapter 1, verse 29, this will be a little different than the one in Matthew. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew, accompanying them with James and John. Verse 30, But Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. And onan, they tell him of her. And now I, I didn't know what this word onan meant. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing it right. It's written in the King James A N. O N. It means with an urgency. And so they told Jesus about her when he got into the house. So apparently she's in another room somewhere in bed. In verse 31, it says that he came to her. Look what he did. He took her hand, and we're assuming he took her hand with his hands. And then he did something different than what is recorded in Matthew. It says, he lifted her up. 
In this account, he didn't say anything. In this account, he grabbed her hands and lifted her up. Notice what happens next. And immediately, when? Immediately, the fever left her and she ministered unto them. In this account, Jesus was assisting Peter's mother-in-law to act on her faith. Now, this is something that's really important for you and I. You understand that faith is an action word. It denotes action. In Scripture, Jesus said concerning the, uh, the man of the palsy who had four crazy friends, he saw them bringing, dropping this man down through the roof into his midst. The Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. Well, if you can see faith, then there's an outward manifestation of what you're believing on the inside. Does that make sense? And a lot of people wait to respond. They want to wait until they're healed. They want to wait until they feel something. But faith is going to act before that. And so Jesus, knowing that power was flowing out of him when his instrument touched her hands, when their hands came together, he believed that power was flowing into her. He wanted her to respond to that power, so he began to lift her up. Hallelujah. He took her by the hand and lifted her up. Glory to God. You know, if you believe you got something, then you're going to respond with your actions. And this is why a lot of us aren't receiving from the Lord. We're waiting to see it with our senses. We're waiting to feel it. We're looking for evidence first before we respond. And that's why a lot of, you know, we don't have the miracles that we could have if we would respond by faith. Hallelujah. If you, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, he gave people a lot of commands to initiate their, their miracle. He had to start getting them to believe with him. They had to start believing that they received before they had any evidence of receiving. So Jesus was telling people all sorts of things. Look over here in Matthew 8, 13. This is that famous uh, miracle that the centurion received for his son or, or for his servant. It's, he told after they had the conversation, after Jesus says, I'll come and heal him, the centurion says, ah, just speak the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus said to him in 13th verse of, of Matthew 8, go your way. Leave. Go. Vemus. Adios. <laughs> Get out of here. Now this centurion had to make a decision. Is he going to leave by faith or stay by unbelief? Obviously, he believed the word of Jesus. And if Jesus told him to go, that meant that his servant was healed. Notice that Jesus gave him a command that he had to follow without any evidence of him having what Jesus said he had. That's faith in action. Because James says in James 2.26, as a lifeless body is dead, so faith 
without action is dead. Another translation says faith without works is unproductive or dead. Amen. You should be able to see your faith in action as you respond once you release your faith and you believe you have what you asked for. Go on over to John 9, 6. Here's another incident of Jesus telling someone to do something in order for them to get their miracle. John 9, 6 says that when Jesus had thus spoken, he spit or spat on the ground, he began to make clay of the spittle. Then he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, the clay he spit on. And he said unto the blind man, go. Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation means sent. Again, this man is still blind. This man can, cannot see. Yet Jesus tells him to go, and not only go, go to a particular place and do a particular act. This blind man had to decide if he was going to act on the word in faith or not and be in unbelief. Well, he responded. He went his way, he washed in that pool, and guess what? He came back a different way. So what would have happened if he didn't respond to the word Jesus gave him? Then his faith would not have been released, and he would have to have go without his miracle. Amen. See why Jesus was lifting up Peter's mother-in-law? He was getting her to respond. She had to believe that she was healed. So if I'm healed, I'm getting up. And she got her miracle. Here's another one that you all know about in Acts 14.8. It says that there, was a, there sat a certain man at Lystra. He was impotent in his feet. He couldn't walk. He was lame. He was crippled. And he's had this condition since he was born. And it says that he had never walked. He never walked a step in his life. The same heard Paul, the Apostle Paul, speak. And Paul, steadfastly looking at him, he perceived in his heart that he had faith to be healed. But guess what? He's still not healed. How can you have faith to be healed and not be healed? The same reason we've been talking about. Faith is an act. Faith denotes action. It, 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 it demands corresponding action to what you believe you have. And so this man, even though he had faith to be healed, he wasn't acting on his faith. He was just still sitting there crippled. So Paul wanted to activate his faith. He wanted to put his faith into motion. He was going to put a demand on him so that he would act on the faith that, that Paul perceived he already had to be healed. Verse 10, Paul said with a loud voice, Stand upright. 
on your feet. Well, that sounds ridiculous, telling a crippled to stand up. Doesn't it? Well, it's just as crazy as telling a blind man to go wash the clay out of your eyes over in some particular pool. That's just as crazy as lifting a sick person up from their bed. Amen. You see, when we obey the word and when we obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> that's when God is at his best. <laughs> Glory to God. He said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And this man responded to it. It says that he leaped up and walked. Now, I know what most people think. Most people think that he felt healed before he stood up. No, he didn't. Because if he had fe felt healed before when he had faith to be healed, he would have already stood up. See, many times you'll be prompted to do something that you still can't do. And when you do it, your faith manifests and you receive. It's, it's that simple. It's almost like salvation. You know, you're calling on the name of the Lord. You're confessing Jesus as your Lord, but that's not true. He's not your Lord. You're a sinner. How can I call on Jesus as my Lord when I'm a sinner? Well, you do it by faith. You call on his name. You, you confess his lordship over your life the moment in the instant that you're still not because you're acting on what you believe. And then when you confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ by faith, you acting at a time that you're a sinner causes that faith in your heart to move and cause a resurrection of your heart on the inside when you call those things that be not as though they were. You called him Lord when he wasn't. And when you did, he became your Lord. And that's how faith works. <laughs> Woohoo! I said, that's how faith works. So let's look at the third, the third recording of Peter's mother-in-law. Go to Luke chapter 4. And I find it interesting that most of the time that you'll find more details in Luke's account than in Matthew and in Mark and in John. And I believe that's because Luke was, by, by um, vocation, he was a doctor. And so you're going to see more details given by someone who's a doctor than someone like me that's, you know, throwing spitballs, you know, at, you know, what I'm seeing. So he gives more details, and you'll see what I'm talking about as we get into this. Luke chapter 4, verse 38. It says that Jesus arose out of the synagogue and he entered into Simon's house. Are you with me? Luke 4.38. It says that Simon's wife's mother was taken. Now look at his description. He calls it a great fever. The other two instances just said it was a fever. Luke is making a diagnosis that it's a great fever. I looked up this word great from the Greek. It's the Greek word magnus, which means exceedingly great, 
greatest, high, large, mighty, strong. This was a mighty fever. And I have to assume that it was a life-threatening fever. And that denotes the urgency that people were getting Jesus' attention when he came into the house. So, notice what Jesus did. They, they besought him. She was taken with a great fever. They besought him. They begged him. They urged him, because it was a great fever, to come unto her. Verse 39, it says that Jesus stood over her and didn't touch her. At least he doesn't report that. He must have, because the other two said he did. But see, Luke is putting attention on Jesus speaking as another method or means to bring power into the life of someone else. It says that Jesus stood over her and he rebuked the fever. He spoke to the fever. Well, I got a question. Does a fever have ears? Why, why is he talking to a fever? It's interesting. Jesus talked to a lot of things. He talked to trees. He talked to devils. He talked to storms. He spoke to a lot of things. Amen. He spoke to the bread and loaves. He blessed them. Amen. Aren't you glad that faith can be released by saying? So the question I have, does a fever have ears? Well, let's read that verse 39 again. It says that Jesus stood over her. He rebuked the fever. That word rebuke means to deny the right of staying. To evict. To cast out. To kick in the bootay. That's French. <laughs> he took authority over it. And he denied the right of that fever. And you understand, he's, he's at the same time, he's talking about the cause of the fever, the root. He rebuked the fever, and it says, it. What's it? The fever. He rebuked the fever, and the fever left. So, if, if, if anyone ever asks you, does a fever have ears, just say, yeah, it does. Jesus taught me that. Amen. It left her, and then it says, immediately, she arose and ministered unto them. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I just have to assume that he came in, grabbed her hands, looked her in the eye, rebuked that fever, commanded it to go, lifted her up, and she got her miracle. See what happens when you wrap all those testimonies up together. So Jesus made a practice of speaking to inanimate objects. That's because everything that is seen was made by that which can't be seen. And they respond 
to that which created them, words. So Jesus, he talks to those things that were created by words, and he uses words to change those things that he's speaking to. Amen? And guess what? The good news is they obey. Because things that are seen are temporary. They're subject to change. Hallelujah. Here we go. Here's another instance. Luke chapter 8, verse 23. You guys, you guys getting something tonight? I said, you guys getting something tonight? I am. I, I'm enjoying this. Luke chapter 8, verse 23. So here's Jesus. He's leaving from one place, going to another. They're using a boat. They're going over a great body of water. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. Yet You'd fall asleep too if you preached all day. Amen. And there came down a storm. Now notice the the magnitude of this storm, it says it had, it had wind and it was on the lake. Therefore, that wind was picking up water and began to create waves. And these waves were splashing over the side of this boat. And it says that they were filled with water and they were in jeopardy. That means to them, naturally speaking, they thought they were going to die. And they came to Jesus they awoke him saying, Master, we're, we're dying. Note to self, never speak to the resurrection in life and tell him that you're dying. <laughs> right? <laughs> He's the resurrection in life. How, how many of you know that death no longer has a sting upon us? What is the worst thing that can happen to a believer on the earth? And some say, oh, I could die. That's a door that leads to the presence of the Lord. We're not ever going to die. We have everlasting life. Woo! That makes me want to shout. So they woke him up. They said, we're going to die. Now look at this. When he arose, what did he do? He spoke to the wind. He spoke to the storm. Thus speaking to the symptoms it was creating. He rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they, all the circumstances of that storm, it says it ceased. And there was a great calm. Glory to God. Amen. Now, again, don't get all enamored. Well, this is Jesus. You know, only Jesus can do those things. He's God, yada, yada, yada. Hey, he came as a man. What he did on the earth was as a man. He was representing man. He did it through the anointing of the Holy Spirit and by the word of God. Amen. And he showed us, he demonstrated to us that we can do the same things if we just follow him. And that's why he got, he gave us instruction to do the same thing. He's instructed us to talk to things. We need to start getting used to talking to things. He told us in Mark eleven twenty three. That whosoever shall say to this mountain, well, isn't a mountain a thing? 
We, we understand that he's talking about a mountain being an unwanted circumstance, a hindrance, an obstacle. It's interesting that he doesn't say to pray. Your life will take on a whole new area of maturity when you, and let me include myself and myself, recognize when it's time to pray and when it's time to say. And to be truthful with you, I do a whole lot more saying now than I do praying. I'm talking about for me personally. When I'm touching things out here, I'm doing a lot of praying, right? when I'm praying for you guys. But I do more saying for me personally than I do pray. Because he says that when you'll speak to the mountain and you'll tell it to be removed. Isn't that what Jesus said to the fever? He rebuked it. He told it to leave. He was displacing it with his words. But you got to believe something when you're talking to the mountain. Do you know what you're supposed to believe? Jesus says, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe something. When you're speaking to the mountain, to the circumstance, to the sickness, to the money, it says, believe, that those things that you're saying are coming to pass. That means you got to believe that before you see anything happen according to the natural physical realm. He says that if you'll believe that those things which you are saying are coming to pass, it's that person who shall have whatsoever he saith. So we can speak to sickness. We can speak to symptoms. We can speak to those that are taking place in our own body. And we can speak to those symptoms that are in someone else's body. We can also lay hands on them. Use our instruments as a point of contact to transfer the power he placed in us that can, used, that can be used to help others. We can also get them to act on their faith. We can encourage them, stand up or do something you couldn't do before. Let them work their faith to bring it to that point of releasing its power and creativity. Glory to God. Amen. Well, that's all I got on this tonight. I'm really glad that you guys were here. It's always good to be with you, especially being with you you know, talking about the Word of God. In, in the Word, good. Let's just thank Him for a moment for what we heard tonight. Father, we thank You for instructing us. We thank You for encouraging our faith. We thank You, Lord, that nothing is impossible to us when we believe. Glory to God. Just begin to thank Him for it. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, again, you are blessed. Hallelujah. And uh, we look forward to seeing you the next time. See you.